small. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back home here in our church. We had a great time in Alaska. I was talking to a few of you about how it was and a lot of cool mountains and uh, a lot of cool things. Uh, got to enjoy, got lots of good seafood there, things like that. And one thing that was a little peculiar there was that uh, the sun wouldn't set because <laughs> of the whatever science there there is. Um, so it was a little hard to follow that at first, but got used to it. But then uh, towards the end, I got to miss Minnesota for, for that reason. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great time for uh, our family and uh, this good you know sightseeing and vacation as well. So thank you for praying for us, and uh, uh, it was just really awesome to be away for a little bit. Uh, and yet, again, I'm really good to be back here uh, with you guys, uh, with, with our church family. Uh, we got to worship with a few other congregations uh, throughout our vacation, and it was great, a uh, great time worshiping with other believers and other churches, but none like, you know, being back home uh, to worship with you all. So, um, yeah, I miss you. Well, um, we are going to uh, be finishing off the book of Galatians uh, very shortly. Uh, we have this passage and then I think two more passages and we'll be done. Um, so hopefully we'll be uh, finishing strong um, and hopefully you are being blessed by the word of God from this book. So today... Uh, today's passage will be found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Let me read that passage for us, and then I'll be praying, and we'll go right into the time of the message. So please turn with me or look up to the screen to the passage for today, Galatians 5. 16 through 24. Here's the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want, uh, things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified 
the flesh with its passions and desires. That is God's word. Would you bow your heads with me one more time and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are uh, thankful to be here to receive your grace through the service, through the songs that we sing, through the fellowship that we get to enjoy with one another, and, and so many more. Thank you that we can call uh, this our church home and our family and get to um, enjoy uh, your grace poured upon uh, this place and this uh, body. Lord, I pray that you would use this time now to build up your church. Uh, would you penetrate each one of our hearts right now through your spirit, through your word, so that our hearts may be transformed. And God, we rely on you for that. It is not my words. It's not um, any peripheral effects that can somehow change our hearts. It is your word by your spirit, as we'll soon see in this passage. So help us, God. May your graciousness be evident during this time. Focus our hearts on your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go any further, uh, let me ask you a question. The question is, do you believe that people can change? Uh, being a pastor sometimes uh, would mean that uh, I got to be on the front row seat of seeing people transform. Uh, for example, I time to time receive uh, messages or emails from my former uh, youth group students whom I pastored when I was their youth pastor. And, and they honestly often shock me. Uh, you know, many of them, uh, to be honest, used to be very far from God when they were students. And, um, and that was then. And then when they messaged me, uh, I get to realize that they are now walking with God. And, and some of them are very passionate for God, for that matter. So the question again, you know, can people change? And particularly, can people overcome their sins and you know, can they grow more mature in their Christ-like character? From my experience in ministry, the answer is yes. So now the question to you is, do you believe that you can change? And I ask this question right now because uh, in today's passage, uh, we will look at how to overcome uh, our sins and change. So my hope and prayer is that uh, God will use this passage to truly challenge our hearts and change us and transform us. So with that in mind, uh, let's uh, look through the passage together. Uh, there are three points to help you follow along, and those are walk by the Spirit, second, trust in the Spirit, and the third, uh, identify with the Spirit. And the title for this sermon is How to Overcome the Flesh. First point, walk by the Spirit. 
Uh, today's passage is really a continuation uh, from the passage that came before this passage, particularly verse 13. If you go there, it says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there, Paul was exhorting the Galatians to use their freedom in the gospel to fight the flesh. The flesh uh, in the Bible uh, usually means um, the, the sinful influences in the world that affect us. And in today's passage, you know, Paul will now spell out you know, how this works, how to fight the flesh. So let's look. Verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the question, how do you fight the flesh? Paul says to walk by the Spirit. Well, before we try to understand what that means, because it is not very clear at first, uh, we, must, we must see the context and situation that we find ourselves in, in this passage. So verse 17, it, it talks about that. It says, so the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Uh, we are apparently, according to this verse, we are caught up in a battle between two great forces, namely the flesh and the Spirit, so that none of us can truly do whatever we want to do in our core nature, meaning we either do what the flesh desires or we do what the spirit desires. Uh, this goes along with what we uh, looked at last time in, in Galatians. There we talked about how it's impossible for a person to be completely autonomous in their lives and, and do whatever they want to do and to define that as freedom because every single person, you and I included, are inevitably influenced and restricted by something in our lives. Uh, for example, by our physical traits, or by our upbringing, or by you know, our surrounding you know, uh, nature and surrounding uh, circumstances constantly. So we can never be completely free. And now here, with that in mind, Paul is you know, giving us an ultimate picture where uh, we are either influenced by the flesh and the spirit and no in-between. We're either going to the direction of the flesh or the spirit. That's the biblical understanding of how we live. There, I have to make a note there, because... Uh, the, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is not for everybody because the Bible says those who are not believers before their conversion to Christ, they are enslaved to the flesh only, you know, which means that they cannot not sin. In Genesis 6-5, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in, in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was 
only evil continually. That no human being can escape from the slavery of the flesh. But then, once conversion happens, once a person puts his or her faith in Christ, everything changes because that's when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, enters into their heart and starts dwelling there permanently. And the Spirit now becomes the the ruler of that heart, uh, having deposed the the flesh from the heart. And he creates in the believer a new heart and a new desire to follow God and please God. And here is the glorious promise we find from Ezekiel where it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There the word flesh is more you know, physical sense. It's not the spiritual sense of sinful nature, but it's more uh, physical. Uh, the heart of flesh means the heart that is alive. So you see that. That's what the Spirit does. It comes and it gives us new heart to now being able to obey God and please God. We live differently. And to be sure that the flesh lingers on in our lives because it will be like that until Jesus comes back and obliterates the flesh from the world. But for now, therefore, the believers um, deal with the flesh, and yet they are now able to overcome the flesh. Before they were not, but now they are, because the Spirit lives in them. So the believer's job is this. The, 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 what Paul is saying, therefore, in this battlefield of flesh and the Spirit, our job is to choose the Spirit and, and let the Spirit lead us and give us the desire that is, that is opposed to and overcomes the flesh, and experience victory over our sins and the flesh. Without the Spirit, without, again, there's no in-between, without the Spirit's help and our dependence on Him, we cannot overcome the flesh. It has to be the Spirit. So now we arrive, then, the core question. So we, we get that it's necessary for us to walk by the Spirit, but the question is, How do we do that? How do we walk by the Spirit? I think for some of us, it it may sound like something something mythical. It's something that you would picture in your head how you go into this dark room and close your eyes and you feel the Spirit's moving somehow and go wherever He's going. Uh, Well, in context, it's it's more uh, straightforward than that. But let me give you three things of what it means to walk by the, the Spirit's leading. And those three things are um, the, these things called means of grace. Um, and those things are the things that God has given us to experience the Spirit in our lives. So follow with me. Uh, first of them is prayer. Uh, Galatians 4.6, earlier in this book, Paul said, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
meaning the Holy Spirit make us God's children, and now we are enabled to cry to our God, the Father, Abba, Father. Meaning, we are now able to pray, we're able to ask God for help when we're in trouble. And because we establish that it is the Spirit that gives us the desire and ability uh, to hate sin and love God, apart from Him, we cannot do anything, and therefore, it follows that we must rely on him in prayer. Prayer accesses us to God and gives us the tool we need to overcome sins. So the first means of grace, prayer. And second is the word. John 14, 26, it says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here the context is that uh, before he is going to the cross, Jesus uh, is telling his disciples and apostles uh, that he will send the Holy Spirit later to help them remember what he said. And indeed this happened after Pentecost and the apostles then remember what Jesus had said and they wrote that down. And that is our Bible. That's the Word of God. What that means is that, you know, as we expose our hearts to the Word, whether, you know, by reading or hearing it preached, like now, and do what the Word says in our lives, the Holy Spirit uses it to change our desires to overcome the flesh. And the third and last sacraments or community. Ephesians 5, 18, 18 through 19, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I think there's a thing of beauty here. What the, the Word of God is saying here is that the Holy Spirit uses a community gathering like this right now uh, to help us, to encourage us to seek the Lord. And we encourage one another, for that matter, even through songs that we sing. And also sacraments, when we do baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's how the Holy Spirit encourages us and builds us up. And to make a quick comment, you all sound great when you sing. You really do. I'm not just trying to be funny here. You are really good. So keep singing. Because by the authority of God's word here, that your singing builds up other people. And I felt it earlier when we were singing the opening set. And it works. That's how Holy Spirit works in our lives. But here, what we need to be careful of is that these three means of grace are not silver bullets or magic spells. That it doesn't guarantee that we will overcome our sins automatically. It's not a vending machine here. No, these are simply tools. And you know, I like to use the illustration. I think I used this quite a few times already now because I cannot find any, anything better as of yet, which is that these means of grace is like the sail on a sailboat that 
you know, the, the sail on the, the mast, you know, doesn't have inherent power to move the boat, right? But what it does is it, it is positioned towards the direction of the wind, and the wind blows, uh, and it catches the wind, and, and forward the boat goes. Just like that, you know, as we consistently engage in these uh, walks of the Spirit, uh, in prayer, word, and worship, and community, and sac sacraments, our hearts can be positioned in the right direction. So when the wind of the Spirit blows, forward it goes, beyond our sin, and we grow. So in this, again, the battlefield of our hearts between flesh and the Spirit, we are to walk with the Spirit in this means of grace. Walk by the Spirit. That's how we grow and overcome our sins. Second, trust in the Spirit. Now please uh, look at verse 18. It's a very important verse, actually, to understand um, the walking by the Spirit. So look with me. Verse 18, it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, just a quick comment there. Some people like to use the phrase led by the Spirit uh, to describe some you know, mystical way uh, where you know, they feel the Spirit directing them to make some decisions in their uh, you know, practical lives. Um, I know that the Spirit can do that, but in this context, the phrase simply means, uh, it's the same meaning as walk by the Spirit. While um, being led, so the passive voice can stress the fact that the Spirit is in the driver's seat. He's the one that moves us forward. So we are being led by the Spirit, but same thing as walking by the Spirit. So here's what Paul is saying then, that those who are being led by the Spirit, those who uh, who receive the Holy Spirit's empowering to have victory over their sins, they are not under the law. What does that mean? They're not under the law. Please follow with me. The law, the word the law, uh, which refers to the law of Moses, has been a prominent word in the, in the book of Galatians. And the false teachers apparently uh, in, the, in the churches were trying to deceive the Galatians by saying that you know, if they keep the regulations of the law of Moses, then they would be justified. They would appear uh, righteous before God. In other words, you know, these teachers were teaching that they fight their sins on their own by following these rules. It won't work, and that's why we've been seeing in this book that this does not work because you know by keeping rules they may look perhaps externally that you know they are you know growing or you know they are looking more righteous than others but in their hearts their sins remain unmistakably but in contrast the spirit can do what the law fails to accomplish that's why we're not under the law if you're led by the spirit and now Paul is about to list some prominent sins in this list. And I think what Paul is trying to do there is to show how indeed powerless 
the law is in helping us overcome our sins. So verses 19 to 21, let me uh, just read those, but we're not going to spend too much time on each one, but let me read them for us. Verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Um, just as a comment here, um, it's helpful to see that there are two categories in, in this list. First category has to do with the, the sins of the Greek pagan culture, such as you know, idolatry, sorcery, and sexual sins. So the sins that were prominent in, in that culture, which I would also argue that is also co- uh, pretty common and prevalent in our culture too. And second category is the sins of relationships, so interrelational uh, you know, conflicts and sins, such as jealousy and rivalries. And these categories reflect the situations of the Galatian church, churches, because at that time, the, the, the members of these churches were indeed of the pagan culture, and we also see that there were divisions in the church. So, so Paul is addressing uh, their current sins right now in this list. But in any case, as we you know, browse through the list here and sins that Paul listed, we got to see the demonstration of how powerless the law can be against these sins. You know, for example, the inner sins, sins of our hearts, such as you know, sexual impurity, like lust, and envy, cannot be conquered by following rules. Again, it may work for momentarily, but we all know that those cannot be conquered by just doing certain things. And what makes it worse is that when you cannot overcome them by keeping these rules, the very law that they are upholding will convict and condemn them to hell. That's what law does. It has no power to save you, but it will condemn you because you are not meeting the standard of the law. And now unjustified, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God in heaven. So law is therefore hopeless in overcoming our sins. That's what Paul is trying to say here. But the spirit is different. So we look at the fruit of the Spirit here, verse 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. People who have these characteristics are perfect people. And we know there's only one perfect person who ever had all nine of these, who is Jesus. And we are called to grow in these characters by the Holy Spirit. And these characters, these virtues, are not just external qualities, but these are inner qualities. The real growth, therefore, it's not just a facade, but this is a real character that the Holy Spirit grows. Meaning the Holy Spirit grows us, changes us from inside out. So 
particularly significant in this portion is the last line that says, against such things, there is no law. Here's what it means. Back in verse 14, Paul said, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning, because the Spirit produces what? Love. And therefore, if you walk by the Spirit, you will fulfill the whole law of God. And the law can never condemn you anymore. When you walk by the Spirit, um, you will be truly righteous before God, and you will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, when we stand before God, before the judge on that day, the Spirit will confirm the justification that we received at our conversion. The Spirit will make it happen. We will appear righteous before God, having fulfilled the whole law of God. So the Spirit accomplishes for us what law or anything else you know, fail to accomplish, namely the true change, the change that comes from inside out. The Spirit is the key. The Spirit is the solution. The songwriter, if you go next slide, uh, Jason Gray uh, says this in his song, uh, More Like Falling in Love. It says, give me rules, I'll break them. Show me lines, I'll cross them. I need more than a truth to believe in. I need a truth that lives, moves, and breathes to sweep me off my feet. Give me words, I'll misuse them. Obligations, I'll misplace them. Because all religion ever made of me was just a sinner with a stone tied to my feet. It never set me free. In love, 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 deeper and deeper, it was love that made me a believer in more than a name, a faith, a creed. Falling in love with Jesus brought the change in me. I think it's really expressing the, the ethos of Paul in this passage well, uh, in poetic fashion, that there's no way keeping rules can somehow create this miraculous thing called love. How can you love somebody by following rules? That never happens. It's only when the Holy Spirit creates alien characteristics such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things. Only then we can change. It's only by the Spirit that we experience overcoming of our sins. So I think what that means is that we must always be careful uh, when, uh, you know, be careful not to make anything into religious rules um, that we try to use to change us apart from the Spirit of God. You know, for example, you know, earlier we talked about the means of grace, and, and they are true gifts from God 
to help us experience the Spirit. But if we start thinking, even subconsciously, that those means of grace are somehow uh, powerful inherently to change our hearts against sins, then we've replaced the Holy Spirit with the law. So that is, you know, you know, we might pray and we read the Bible and go to church, you know, thinking that those actions can somehow change us. That's a big mistake. Meaning, our hope, all of our hope has to be in the Holy Spirit. We do certain things that can help us to experience the Holy Spirit, but those things cannot truly change us. All the good things that God has given us, we must use them to get to the Holy Spirit. And we patiently then wait for His timing. We cannot control the Holy Spirit because He's free from us. We simply wait until His wind blows at us. But I think what it also means is that we can be hopeful as we are trying to grow and overcome our sins. Because when we truly believe from this passage that the Holy Spirit can create me to be this loving person, joyful person, peaceful person, kind person, a person that can control myself, you know, all these things, all these supernatural things, if we believe that Spirit can do that and nothing else can do that, we are hopeful. We're not in despair at any moment. Even when you feel like you're not growing, even when you feel like, you know, sins get the better of you at, at certain moments, you do not have to despair. If you're in Christ, the Spirit will redeem you. Spirit will make you beautiful like Christ. That is the hope that the law or things that we do can never give. Trust in the Spirit, therefore. And the third and last, identify with the Spirit. Verse 24, the last verse, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. My goodness, this is one of my favorite doctrines in the Bible, which is union with Christ. And I, I felt this as I was preparing for this message when I got this, this verse. My goodness, I need this. And, and so do you. Meaning, the Bible says that when you know, a person puts his or her faith in Christ, it's not just a dry transaction, but it's, there's something spiritual going on where they are spiritually united with Christ, you know, sharing the same destiny with him. So that when Christ died on the cross, we have died with them to our old life to the point that that old life governed by the flesh is gone and done away with. We're dead with Christ. But when Christ rose again, we rose again with him to a new life where the Spirit governs us. The life that is filled with hope and justification, sanctification, glorification. That's the union with Christ. And Paul here is saying, He's reminding the believer that on the cross, you guys have died with Christ to your old life. 
that old life of the flesh has been forgiven. It's gone. Not materially. We're still strolling, but spiritually it's gone. It's been judged. And its power over you is gone. You are not, you're no longer enslaved to the sins anymore. You have power by the Spirit over your sin. I believe you feel it or not. You have power by the Spirit over your sin. The sins are gone in their power structure. That's what it means. And now think about that. That means you have a new identity. The old life is gone. And what it means is that you cannot keep sinning anymore. Hope you get that. You cannot. That's your identity now. You cannot keep sinning anymore because you know, the flesh who, that used to be your identity, you lived in there, but no, no longer. I don't live there anymore. That's my former identity that has been gone, that, that has been crucified with Christ. That's not me anymore. That's not my life anymore. I don't go back there anymore. That's what it means to have crucified uh, with Christ to our old nature. And now we are new. We can't be mixed with the old anymore. We can't go back. That's what it means here. In our Christian life, as we try to walk by the Spirit, we have to preach to ourselves over and over and over again, like I did yesterday as I was praying for this message, that I am new in Christ. I cannot go back. That's not who I am anymore. I can't. Let me illustrate this, and please forgive me, uh, because it's going to be a little a little bit of a gross illustration. But I'm trying to make a point, so bear with me, okay? I already warned you. So when I was little, like, you know, in kindergarten or elementary school years, you know, I used to get, I think, sick often. Like, every year I was always sick uh, when the weather got colder. And, uh, And this one time, you know, I was getting sick, uh, but my parents prepared me, uh, you know, a really delicious meal for dinner. So I ate really well that night, and, and a lot. Um, and it was amazing, it was delicious. But then, the next day, you know, with, with fever and everything, I was feeling really sick. So next thing I know, you know, I was running to the bathroom and puking, everything out in the toilet, okay? And shortly afterwards, I came to my senses. I was like, oh, oh, okay, what just happened? Okay, I I opened my eyes, and I saw in the toilet bowl uh, the situation. And in there were all the undigested, chunky food particles from the the night before, that amazing meal that I told told you about. And I felt really bad that all the delicious food that my, my parents prepared for me, uh, that I enjoyed, all came back out. All of it. And, and now it's in the toilet bowl. I felt so bad. And, and, and here is what was going on, going through you know, little Aiden's mind at the time. Here, here's what was happening. I was thinking, oh man, 
What a waste. All the good food that I had last night is gone. And it's all back into that toilet bowl. Man, it was a delicious meal. I, I wasted it. Can I just put that back into my mouth? I mean, the, the food is not digested yet. It looks okay. Can I do that? That thought and thought. But here's my conclusion. No. I was thinking, man, no way. It's gross. I can't do that. You know, I just puked that out into the toilet bowl. I can't do that. There's no way to put that back into my mouth. So, again, cheers to little Aiden. Uh, you know, he closed the toilet cover and flushed it down. Well, spiritually speaking, make a connection here. Spiritually speaking, when we put our faith in Christ and have become united with him, we have puked out our old sinful flesh. I don't think it's an exaggeration. I know it's, it's a, again, gross illustration, but I think it's really fitting here that we have puked out our old sinful nature flesh into the toilet. And it's now out of our system and I'm sitting in that bowl right now, so to speak. And sins can be tempting, aren't they? Because they have given us pleasure in the past. Even though they are sitting in our toilet bowl, they can look tempting. And would we then try to put that back into our mouth? And kudos to little Aiden. No. We say with him, no, that's gross. That is disgusting. It shall never go back into my mouth and make me sick again. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we should, so to speak, close that lid and flush it down in our lives. So now follow with me. What does that mean then? It means that has to be our attitude towards sins of our lives. That, for example, in the list, do you struggle with envy and jealousy? Leading you to even gossip and slander, hurt others behind their back because you're so insecure and jealous? Would you say, no, I'm new that doesn't fit my new identity in Christ, I shall not do that to hurt others behind their back. Do you struggle with sexual impure thoughts and behaviors? You can say, therefore, gross. Because I can't go back there anymore. That's lifestyle of my old life. I have puked that out that's sitting there in the toilet. Why would I go back there? I won't do that. And lastly, do you struggle with 
bitterness and anger towards uh, people who have hurt you, especially maybe your brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you say, no, I shouldn't do that with my new heart. I shall not defame. I shall not hurt in my heart my brothers and sisters in Christ because I'm bitter at them. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me to forgive them. Help me to reconcile with them. It's hard, but help me to do that because that's not me anymore. I cannot live like that. No. This is how we live. This is how we walk by the Spirit. That because we have new life now in the Holy Spirit, we cannot, and we should constantly preach to ourselves that that's not me anymore. It's gross to do that in my life. It doesn't fit Christ in me. A few weeks ago, um, you know, I got an email from a former youth student um, that uh, I, I pastored in my old church. And he was updating me, you know, how he was doing spiritually. And, um, and I can tell you that it was one of those moments that really, you know, get me going as a, as a pastor. You know, I think there are a lot of discouragements if you're, in, if you're a pastor in ministry. But when I hear those things, I come alive because I see that God is doing something in, in his life, and particularly, I just remember those uh, dire moments as a, when I was a youth pastor. I would preach, I would sow seeds, and they're not, they're not listening. And man, I feel like crying, but I cannot cry in front of teenagers. So I keep preaching. And I do that for, you know, two and a half years. But, and this student was, you know, one of those students that didn't listen or it didn't, you know, look like he was listening, but he apparently was. And, and I got to see that, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, was working in his heart through the Word of God. And prayers, obviously, that I was praying for him throughout the years. And you see, that's how we grow again. It's not a vending machine business that we're in as a Christian. We are for the long haul. That we walk by the Spirit. What that means is things do not come at us instantly, but it comes perhaps years later as we wait for the timing of the Holy Spirit. And when the fruit comes, when you become a better person, miraculously even, you will thank the Holy Spirit. And that is an awesome thing of Christian life.